Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, you'll turn there. We're going to look at a lot of verses in this chapter, but I'm going to only read the first five. I have, a, it's, it was my Bible for the last mm, year or two. It's a very nice, genuine leather, thin line ESV Bible. I did not use it only to preach in the pulpit. But between me and you, I can't see the words are too small. <laughs> and it's in paragraph form. And so I'm looking, I, get, I lose my place in there because I'm trying to find the number of the verse, but it's too small. It's not that it's really small, but for what the purpose of the pulpit is, it's too small for me. So I got this one. It's really big. <laughs> so it's a really nice Bible. And again, I didn't use it all that much because it only laid it on the pulpit when I opened it for preaching and that was it. But if you would like to have it or know someone that would enjoy having it, I'll be glad to give it to anyone who wants it for free. So you come up and see me, and uh, no fighting. So um, first one comes and see me, I guess. We'll, We'll work it out that way. All right, Acts 12, verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. We live in a culture that is obsessed with power. I put in power blank in the internet. And this is a sampling of what I got. Power ties, power suits, power lunch, power heels, power symbols, power moves, horsepower, financial power, military power, political power, power couples, power position, power drinks, power workouts, on and on it goes. So many things in our culture are all about power, but a certain kind of power, not a nebulous power, not a generic power, a very specific one. It's the power of man. It's an earthly power, and it has all kinds of abilities and consequences and things that it can do. It is certainly a real and true power, but here's what you find. No matter what you find, it is limited. It can't do everything that is needed or everything that we want. But there's another kind of power, and it's an invisible power. And although it's invisible, its consequences and force is very visible. Um, It's Holy Spirit power, gospel power, miraculous, supernatural power. This is not a man kind of power. This is a God kind of power. It's not an earthly source power. It's a heavenly source power. And unlike man's power that's limited, this power, in contrast, is completely unlimited. These two powers, and I know you're familiar with both, um, they have been pitted against each other all throughout the pages of Scripture from the beginning to the end. In the Exodus, 
It was a contest of power, not between Egyptian people and Israelite people, although that was true. It was really behind the scenes. It was all about whose gods were more powerful, the Egyptian gods or Yahweh, the God. All the plagues, all ten of them, were not just random bad things to punish Egyptians. They were specifically geared, each one of them, to show that one of those gods represented in the Egyptian pantheon couldn't really handle the truth because all those things were controlled in their climate and their culture by an Egyptian god who couldn't control Yahweh. The conquest is no different. It was between the Canaanite gods and the power of Yahweh. All throughout Scripture, there are numerous battles that Israel faced when they faced their enemies. And if you realize this, God was their power. And many times they had to hardly fight or hardly do anything. And God would bring all kinds of natural disasters. He would bring this and bring that. And there are many times where they hardly had to do anything. The Red Sea and so forth, where people were completely wiped out. And it was always this. They have horses and they have chariots, 900 of them, and they're made of iron, and they have a million people, and it never mattered because Yahweh could handle all of them. National-level power, God has it. Individual level, still the same. So we are peppered with stories like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who individually stand up because they will not worship the God of the Babylonians and probably Nebuchadnezzar himself, perhaps. And they face a fiery furnace, but God is more powerful than that. Even though it was heated seven times hotter, it was no match for the God who gave his people asbestos faith, right? Daniel faced the lion's den, but no lions were a match for the power of God that can close their mouths. Mount Carmel was only another testimony to the God who supposedly could draw fire and lightning, Baal, who couldn't come through. But as we heard recently, God could because he's the true God of the storm. And on and on, all throughout the Bible, God's power is pitted against man's power or false God's power. And nothing changes when you get to the book of Acts. The book of Acts really can be looked at a number of different ways, but one way to look at it tonight fitting our context is the church's power versus culture's power. God's power through the church and Satan's power through the culture. In fact, I find it to be interesting that the very first thing that the book of Acts points us out is Acts 1.8, and you shall receive this class, power, power. God wants them to know before any of the things that they do, as far as they go out on the mission to the ends of the earth, before you go out and live on mission, here's what I want you to know. I've got real power. That is what one of the first messages Acts gives. Now, that word power is used numerous more times all throughout, but God wants them to know this. If you want to live in my world, my way, for my glory, on my mission, you've got to have my power. I want to pose a question to you tonight, and I want you to answer it in your heart, and then I'm going to ask it to you again personally. Do we as a church really believe, not cognitively or intellectually only, but in our practice in our life as a church, do we really believe that God's power is greater than any other power that there is? Acts 12 
our chapter tonight, is a major contrast between the power of man and the power of God. And I want to show you tonight how that works in motivating us in the meaning of prayer. Let me give you from some structural contrast because I want you to see how the contrast between the power of man and the power of God works in this text. Let me give you examples. In the text, it talks about hands. Okay, the first one is Herod's hands. Herod has power. He's in charge. He is the appointed Roman ruler and governor in that area. So in chapter 12 and verse 1, he stretches out his hands with violence, ESV says. And he grabs James and he arrests Peter. And in chapter 2 and verse 11, it says that looking back after he's delivered, Peter says, I'm sure that the angel, God sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod. So Herod's hand has power. He can arrest people. He can have them killed. He can have them thrown in prison. He can do seemingly whatever he wants. Herod's hand is powerful, but it's not the only hand. Peter has a hand, and mentioned in this text twice, once in chapter 12, verse 7, and the other in verse 17. And the first time Peter's hands are mentioned is when the angel comes to him when he's locked up in prison, and his hands have chains on them. But the Chains that Herod put on Peter's hands are no match for the power of God because just in a moment, the Bible says, the chains drop off of him. So his hands were not moving. By the time he gets out of the prison, he goes back to the place where they're praying. It says that he motioned with his hands. In other words, he had freedom. His hands, which were once bound, are free again to do what God wants them to do, to be on mission with God. God's powerful hands are way greater than the hands of Herod. Another word to show the contrast in power is the word struck. If you'll notice in your Bible, if you're taking notes, circle in verse, chapter 12, verse 2. Herod, and the word is literally struck, or it says killed in there, but he was actually struck. It says with the sword. He was capital punishment execution. Judaism would execute you with a sword they were not allowed to crucify. Only Romans could do that. And so they would kill you by cutting your head off with a sword, which is capital punishment. And they would do that for murderers, and they would do that for apostates. And James was considered an apostate to Judaism. And on that day that he was seized, Herod struck him, and he had his head taken off. This is James, the brother of John. That same verb is used at the end of our text. In chapter 12 and verse 23, it says, And the angel of the Lord, same word, struck Herod. And he had an intestinal disease and had worms. And within five days, historian Josephus tells us he died of it. See, he had the power to strike James. But God's power was greater because God struck him. Showing you Herod has power, but God has more power. And somewhat of a humorous one in the text. The Bible says that the angel comes in and and actually pushes Peter, says, get up. (laughs) I don't know if he kicked him or whatever he was doing, but he was sound asleep. I think he was, he knew that God told him, Jesus told him in John, this is not going to, you're not going to die this way. You're going to die. So he probably knew this wasn't it, perhaps, but he's sleeping soundly, whatever the reason was. 
The angel tells him to get up, put your clothes on, put your coat on, put your sandals on. And he walks after him. And, in, and the Bible says in verse 10 that the, eight, the gate opened, literally ESV, of its own accord. It's the word in Greek, automate, automatic. And that means, I'm guessing, that it means that when they approached the gate, started opening on its own till it was completely open and they walked through. Now, see, we have that at the grocery store and everywhere else now. That doesn't seem like much. But when it's an iron gate that's locked, it was a lot. But I find it interesting that God could open the iron gate easily. But he goes out after he leaves down to the house where they're praying and he knocks on the iron gate outside. Same word, gate in both of them. But it's kind of humorous that God could open the gate of the prison But no one would open the gate to the door of the house. Not even the little girl that's out there. She just leaves him standing there and he had to get someone else to open it. Again, just showing God can open gates, but we can't even get the door open when we've been released. See, God's power and man's power throughout this story are being contrasted in so many ways. God's hand is way more powerful than Herod's hand. So I wrote down in my notes, did the early church believe this? They did. And you know how I know they believed that God was more powerful than anything they could ever face? Here's how I know, because they prayed together. Verse 5 and verse 12, this passage about Peter's release is bracketed by two statements about the church praying. And they weren't just praying individually at home. They were praying at church together. Now, their church was a house, and seemingly a large house, that Mark's mother had and it was probably wealthy and she had a big portico so she had a porch and if you know anything about first century homes they had a gated area you'd walk in the gated area and there'd be an open area and then you'd walk into another area and which would be their house and it usually had two stories and you'd go up there but if you were very wealthy like in Jesus's day they'd have meals inside and people who weren't invited could come into the porch area and they could watch the people eating and hear what Jesus says while he was having a meal with someone But that's how their houses were built. So here's Peter outside on the street knocking on the iron gate. God could get the one in the prison open, but he can't get the one there open. But at the same time, here's what he says. They were there praying. That's what they were doing in this house church. So let me give you the idea tonight, and I want to unpack in our few minutes left the rest of this message. Let me say it to you straight. God's power for God's story is released through the prayers of God's people. Let me say it again. God's power for God's story is released through the prayers of God's people. Let me tell you what I think that means. Two things, and that's it. Number one, we read verses one through four, and here's the first thing. God's power doesn't always look like it's the greater power. It doesn't always look that way. Look at all of the things that look like weakness in the text. It says in verse 1, now at that time, it looks like Herod has a plan. He's going to mess up the church. He's going to cripple it or try to, and he's got a plan to destroy the leadership. He's got a plan, and he can do it randomly, and it looks like nobody knows what he's doing, that he was going to do it. It doesn't even look like God knows it because he starts to get away with it. So Herod grabs James. Listen to this. James, who is the brother of John, the sons of thunder, one of Jesus's inner three of the inner circle. I mean, why would God allow such a pivotal guy in the mission of the church to be killed? I mean, imagine in one day he's grabbed on the next day he's dead. 
And then he grabs Peter, who was his number one disciple, and he's put in prison. And so it says he has, he is put in prison, he has chains, he has four squads of soldiers, which mean two of them were chained to him in the prison, two were outside his prison door, not to mention all the guards throughout the barracks all the way to the front gate. This was no small security attachment. In fact, it was probably double what they would do for any other common prisoner. Peter was not going to get out. And he looked like there was no way he ever could. You've got prison doors, gates, soldiers, guards, 16 of them on rotating basis every three hours. So you've got chains. How in the world? It's all, it all looks like we, it looks hopeless. Because why? Because James already been killed and it looks like it's going to be the same thing for Peter. But see, God's power is connected to God's plan. Herod has power and he has a plan. But here's what God wants you to know. I've got power and I've got a plan. God's power, and here's where we're going to struggle. It doesn't always look like it's the most powerful. Why? Because he often lets it look like weakness. Chains, prisons, bars that don't open, people being killed with a sword. Does God really have a plan? If he is, how is this working yet? Is Herod really more in charge than God? Is God really not on the throne? Paul says this, God's grace and power are displayed in our weakness. And Paul had a thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. And he says, you know what God's pattern is? Not display his power through your power, but display his power through your weakness. See, everyone was vulnerable for martyrdom, even James, the brother of John. Peter could be arrested. You know why? Because the pattern is this, suffering and then glory, weakness and power through weakness. James was executed, Peter was arrested, imprisoned, and it seemed overwhelming. It seemed that they were helpless, and it seemed like there was nothing they could do. And so you know what they did? They gave up and forgot about it and said, I hope this works out. No, you know what they did? They realized there was something they could do. In fact, I think they realized it was the most important, powerful thing they could do. You know what verse 5 says? They prayed. They prayed. They didn't get in contact with their mayor or their congressman. They got in contact with their God. See, they didn't walk on Washington, but they kneeled toward heaven. See, that's what they did. Is that our first resort? Is that what we do as a church? I'm telling you, without being prophetic, times are coming and they're going to get worse. Suffering, opposition, persecution, and perhaps worse in this country is coming We need to be a praying church. We need to embrace the weakness that we have and say, God, I want your power to be displayed in it. See, God is more powerful than Herod and he's more powerful than prisons. Did you know that there was a prison story? Remember we have prayer stories? Prison story before this one. Chapter five, they had put him in prison and they came to get him the next morning and they were all gone. After this is another prayer story, because in chapter 16, Paul and Silas are locked up after being beaten in prison, and at midnight they're singing songs, and God sends power, an earthquake, all the doors open. God can open any door. He opens the earth, and they could go out. But see, here's what God is. I want to tell you, story after story after story, you know why we're encouraged? Because we read, God does that stuff. 
See, I, I want to hear the stories that we have at our church. See, I want us to say, here's how God opened that door, literal or spiritual or metaphorical. Here's how God did that for us. I can't believe that God allowed that to take place. That's how we get encouraged to pray. I believe all my, with all my heart that if the grave couldn't hold Jesus, how could the prison hold Peter? Are we not coming up on Easter? God has power. You know what kind of power prayer holds on to? The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. When you get on your knees, when we get on our knees, we're asking God to do what only he can do, and he can do anything. See, we don't like the look to look weak. We don't like to look helpless or powerless. Read the Bible over and over again. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But the cross to, is what? It's weakness. And God says in 1 Corinthians 1 that the weakness of God is stronger than the power of men. Even God's weakness, if he had one, is way stronger than the most powerful of people. That's what he says. 2 Corinthians 13 says Jesus was crucified in weakness. Now you look at the cross and watch this Easter. When you see that for the first time, if you were there, would you think, wow, Jesus, that is amazing power. You would never think that. You would think, I thought he had power, but I guess he doesn't. He died as if he had no power, powerless, helpless. It was the greatest act of power that there ever has been. But it didn't look that way. It didn't look that way. Have you ever faced, listen, have you ever faced a situation that overwhelmed you? You say, how many times today? <laughs> have you ever felt helpless or powerless? See, maybe yours is not a prison that you face. Maybe it's a hospital. Maybe it's not physical chains that you've been praying to be loose from, but spiritual ones and the sin that keeps defeating you in your Christian life. You would say, Pastor Walker, I have my own share of Herods, and I've seen their hands all over my life, and I can guarantee this, they have power. The powerful hand of cancer, the powerful hand of unemployment, marriage struggles, rebellious children, living every day in an anti-God culture. Doesn't it feel sometimes that those powerful hands have the upper hand? Doesn't it feel like that? Can I tell you this? They never do, no matter what it looks like. No matter what it looks like. So tonight as a church, as difficulties in our culture and otherwise come our way, will we really believe that God is more powerful than anyone or anything? And the answer to that will be found in this, when we pray. When we pray together. So that's the first one. God's power is greater, even though it may not look like it all the time. The second one is the converse of that. Even though it doesn't look like it, God's power is always greater than any problem you will ever face. That's why you pray. Look at chapter 12, verse 5. It says, in response to all the weakness and all the things they couldn't control, James's death, Peter's arrest, they decided that this is what they could do. They could pray. And you might say, Pastor Walker, what can I do? What can I do in this circumstance? Can, here's what we tell you. You can do something that is greater than any talent or ability that others might have, and that is pray. And the word that's used there is earnest prayer. It is a Greek word that literally was used to this extent, to strain forward 
or to stretch yourself. It was like someone who had competed with every ounce of their energy and they'd come up to a running race at the finish line and they want, have you ever seen someone try to get their neck and their head out there? They were straining with every ounce they had to get over the finish line. That's the word that describes how the early church prayed. They were straining in prayer. Ask yourself, when is the last time you ever felt like you ever strained in your prayers? I mean, that you were every ounce of your energy, that you were putting it out there and stretching yourself out there. It's the same word in Luke twenty two forty four of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when it says he was sweating great, great drops of blood and he prayed earnestly. I mean, he was praying with everything he had. It's the same word used in 1 Peter 1, 22, when Peter says, love one another fervently. Strain, stretch yourself to pray. Stretch yourself to love other people. Why would someone do that? Why would you get on your knees and pour yourself out? Why would it be like you felt like you got up, you were more drained than when you got down there on your knees? You know why? Because you believe this. God is more powerful than anything we face. It is not a waste of time to get on my prayer. It is not pray and throw my hands up and hope this works. No, it's believing that God is more powerful, that his powerful is greater. And so we pray on our own, but we pray together. We come to church and we pray. We're, no long, we're not just lone ranger prayers, not just closet prayers, corporate prayers. And I challenge you, I did it this last week, read through the entire book of Acts and read every time the church got together and prayed and see what happens. There is something unique about God's people in God's church getting together and praying. The last thing I want to show you is when Peter is in all of these weak situations, squads of soldiers chained inside, the guards are locking him out, I mean locking him in, Herod's guarding him and keeping him in here, but God also sends his angel because God's guarding him, not so he could be killed like Herod guards him, but God is guarding him to get him out. And so the, the Bible says, listen to these words. You may, I want you to see if you can hear the echo. The angel comes in and he says this. He kicks him or whatever and he tells him to get up. And get up, listen, get up quickly. And the Bible says that the angel came that very night. So at nighttime, the angel comes and says, get up quickly and I want you to get your clothes on and I want you to put your sandals on because God's delivering you now. Do you ever hear those words put in that order anywhere else? Yes. Yes, that's what God told them in Exodus 12 and verse 11. Read it for yourself. Those very words are used when it was time for Moses to tell the people, we're leaving tonight. Get up, put your sandals on, get it quickly, because God is freeing us. All those words are echoes in this passage. Why? Because when did this take place? At the Passover. See, God's Passover, the first Passover, Peter was reminded of what? God's unbelievable power to bring plagues on Pharaoh and to have Pharaoh completely wiped out and decimated. Why? Because God knows how to deliver his people who are, need freedom. Peter found out this, that the God of Moses is the God of Peter. And he can do the same thing back then that he can do today. And let me tell you this. Listen, 
You know why we should pray? Because the God of Moses is the God of Peter, is the God of Christians at Faith Baptist Church. He is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And he can do, he can deliver us, he can provide for us, he can protect us, he can use us. And he can help us in ways that you never thought possible because God is powerful. No matter who it is that stands in your way, Pharaoh, Herod, it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter what it is. God can control it all. And I close with this. How much can he really control? Can he just control people or instances or prison doors Beyond that, you know how much he can do? He actually controls life and death. The Bible says that Herod kills James and struck him with a sword. Remember I told you at the end of the passage, it says the angel struck Herod. You see, it looked like Herod could control the lives and deaths of other people. But what God showed is really he's in control. See, Herod thought he was in control, but God says, no, I can take your life today. Can I tell you this? Know this, that God is this powerful. He can control it all. Life and death, he has it all under his control. You know how the the whole thing closes? And I gotta tell you this part because you're gonna think this is just random power of God. It isn't. You know how God releases his power most times. In chapter 11, in verse 30, it says this, and Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the church. And you know how our text ends in chapter 12 and verse five? Another statement, Paul and Barnabas left from Jerusalem. You say, well, Pastor Walker, that, what is, how does that matter? It brackets our whole text. You know why it matters? Because our, our big idea tonight was God's, what? Power for God's story works through the prayers of God's people. You know what God does? He says, I'm not just looking at your life. I'm not just looking at Peter in jail and I can deliver him. No, because otherwise he could have, you ever ask why did he not deliver James but delivered Peter? You know why? Because those are God's purposes and plans according to the mission he's doing. James's mission was done. Peter's wasn't. He wasn't done yet. Because everything God does in his power is for mission. Can I propose a possibility as we close tonight? Is it true perhaps as a church or you as a family or individuals, could it be that you don't see God's power in your life, especially when it comes to answers in prayer, because the things that you pray for are not connected to the mission that you're supposed to be living? Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. That's how it's framed out. And you know what Acts 12 is? It is the last chapter before they go into all the world to reach the gospel. They've already done Jerusalem. They've done done Judea. They've done Samaria. Chapter 12 on, Jerusalem's not the center anymore. That's why they're leaving at the end of the verse of this chapter. Now it's Antioch in chapter 13. Now they're going to go to the end of the world with the gospel. And you know what? Peter's name is mentioned 56 times in Acts. 55 of them are in chapter 12 or before. Do you know how many times he's mentioned after our text? Once. Do you know whose name takes over now? Paul. Why? Because this is the hinge of the next biggest stage of the mission.
And you know what God loves to do? He loves it when his people connect everything going on in their church and in their lives to the story, to the mission. So we pray for people going to the hospital. God, help them to see they're on mission for you. They might be in pain and need surgery, but they're on mission with you. Do you know when you go to work tomorrow? Pray. You know why we should pray? Because we're on mission tomorrow at our jobs when we go out in the summer's time, we're on mission in our neighborhoods. When we come to church and there are new people that we welcomed into our congregation to visit us, we are on mission here. See, perhaps if we started praying that everything in our happens in our lives, we connect it to the mission that we're on, we would see that that's where God really wants to pour his power out the most. See, that's why we need to get to pray. We need to know how your life and my life and your life and your life and the things that you're going on, it's not just that you have a sickness or surgery. How does it fit into the mission? How can we ask God to come and show your power in our weakness and tell him this, not just to do something for us, do something for the glory of your story. That's what we're really at. When we start to live and pray like that, we're gonna start, start, start to see gates open for us and heaven coming down to earth and putting things in place and doing things that we never thought possible. That's where we want to go on Wednesday nights. That's what we're after here at Faith Baptist Church. We want to be that kind of people. Let's pray. Oh, Father, help us Oh, Peter knew exactly where he fit in this story. He knew all the details of his lives were planned and purposed and orchestrated by God. Even, Jesus said in John 21, even his death would be the way and time that God had planned it. Why? Because it was all part of the mission to reach all the nations with the gospel. Oh, Father, that we would have eyes to see like that that we would see car accidents and bills that are very high and sicknesses and even deaths and the tragedies that come into our life. May we have the ability to connect them to the story that as we pray and put those things in their proper connection and perspective, we might see you work. Work in ways that only could be explained by your power. Oh God, we don't want this year just to have it our way and our power and do things like the power of the world and power of men around us. No, we want the power of your cross. We ask for the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask for your power to be on our preaching and our singing and our worshiping and our evangelizing and our serving. Lord, we want to connect it all to you. Please, may the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead be upon Faith Baptist Church and everyone in this place tonight as we seek to live out your mission together and pray together that your will might be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's in your name we pray. Amen.